Hey, uh, real quick, before we get into the message, because I want to end on a little bit of a different note this morning, uh, don't forget that September the 16th, our Understanding Revelation seminar, we now have 136 people registered for that. So we're only 14 away from 150, and next Sunday will be the deadline for that. Now, speaking of next week, just a reminder, next Sunday is one of the two standalone messages that, that are surrounding that seminar. And next Sunday, September the 10th, a, a very important message that really goes along with that seminar on why I believe we are living in the last days. Signs of the times. And we're going to even talk about that in our message this morning. So I would invite you to not only be here next Sunday, because I think it's a very relevant message for what's going on in our world today. But it's a great opportunity for you to invite somebody to come with you. Because I think a lot of people would be interested in this message next Sunday. So that's a week from today, September the 10th, right here at the Oasis. Don't forget, if you do want to be a part of the Revelation Seminar, you need to register. Or if you're bringing somebody, they need to register or you need to register for them. Because we do need to know how many people to plan for for lunch. But the seminar itself is free over in the cafeteria. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at a passage of scripture where we are seeing uh, two conflicts, if you will, going on. And, and even what Nicole shared there is, is very uh, relevant to what we're going to be talking about today. And what you all sang about this morning, obviously very relevant to what we're going to be talking about. The first conflict is an internal conflict that Paul is experiencing. And then he shares with uh, the Philippian church an external conflict that every follower of Jesus Christ is going to face as well. I want to just begin in verse 21 of Philippians 1, and I want to read down through verse 26, because this is the passage, this is the part that we're going to look at this morning, where he describes the internal conflict that he is having. A key verse for the entire book, Philippians 1, 21, for to me, real true living is Jesus Christ. That's real life. In Christ, centered in Christ. And... Dying for us as followers of Christ is actually gain. Then Paul says this. Now, if I am to go on living in this body, that will mean productive work for me. Yet I don't know which I prefer. I feel torn between the two because I have a desire, a passionate desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more advantageous for you that I remain in this body. And since I am sure in this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith so that what you can be proud of may increase because of me in Christ Jesus, in partnership with Christ Jesus, when I come back to you. Paul is describing an internal conflict that really should be true in every follower of Jesus Christ. Because, first of all, Paul says, as a follower of Jesus Christ, my passionate desire, 
The thing that I wish for, the thing that I long for, the thing that I crave, the thing that I look forward to more than anything else is to be with Christ. Which is far better, Paul says. Better than anything I could ever experience on this earth is to be able to be in that place where I will literally see the face of my Savior and my Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 4, John writes that this is really the culmination of, of our entire being. This is what heaven is all about. He says in Revelation 22, 4, that they, meaning us, if we are a Christian, will see His face. Think about it. Every born-again Christian will one day see the very face of God. And there will no longer be any need to live by faith. Because living by faith is hard, isn't it? It's so much easier for us when we can see it. And one day, the Bible says, there will be no need for faith anymore. We actually will see it. We will see Him. We will see heaven. We will see everything that we've ever dreamed of. Everything that God has revealed. We will actually see it. And most of all, we will see Him. Because that should be what we are really passionately desiring above everything else. Is to be back in that sort of intimate, close fellowship and communion with Jesus that even is, is uh, beyond anything where we have physical separation like we do now. In fact, John even said in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are now the children of God, but it hasn't been totally revealed all that we shall be, but we know this, that when He is revealed, we will be like Him. For we will see Him as He is. Hopefully, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is always burning within you a passionate desire to be with Jesus. And to know that that's the hope of what we get to look forward to. When so many other people on earth, apart from Jesus Christ, have really not much to look forward to. For those that don't believe that there's anything after death, that all there is is this life and then we just go into the ground or we get cremated and that's the end of us. There's no existence after that. Or maybe they believe like some that, well, I just try to do the very best that I can and hope when you know, my life is over, that God will take everything into account and I, I hope I make it type of thing. How sad. And there's maybe, which we know that there are, many human beings that want nothing to do with God or the existence of God. or any, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be appealing or attractive to them at all, to be with Jesus Christ. That, that doesn't hold any kind of appeal to them. But for us, it should be something that we live in and live with all the time. Just like Paul. My passionate desire is that I want to be with Jesus in a way that is not separated 
by my human nature and my sinful nature and, and this physical distance. I know I can fellowship with Him through His Spirit and through His Word and, and I can commune with Him in some way, but I want that all, all that separates me now to be gone so that I can see His face and be in His presence and worship Him in a way that I can't even right now. But Paul says... There's something else that I hold at the same time. Notice he says, I feel torn, verse 23, between two things. Because he says, even though it would be better for me, verse 23, that maybe my imprisonment and all of that leads to my death, and I go to be with Christ, and I'm okay with that, he says, but for your sake... It'd be better if I stayed behind. It'd be better if I stayed behind so that I could come alongside of you and I could help you and encourage you. Notice verse 25. In your progress, in your spiritual advancement, and you continuing to move forward. And I want to point this out. Notice in verse 25 that Paul links our progress spiritually with our joy. Notice that progress and joy. There are so many joyless Christians today who have a hard time worshiping, if you will, and even being rejoicing and joy, you know, joyful in the Lord, as even Paul talks about in Philippians 4, rejoicing in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And why is that? Because they're not making any progress. They're not growing. They're not increasing. They're not advancing. They're moving forward. They're sliding backward. And when you and I continue to drift further and further away from the Lord, we will lose our joy. Our joy is connected to our progress or spiritual advancement, which is one of the reasons why here at the Oasis we are continually and always will be encouraging you to be a part of this church for the sake of your spiritual progress and advancement and moving forward spiritually. That's what it should be about. So that it produces a joy in you which obviously then brings you to worship and praise of the Lord, and then that worship and praise drives you back to continue to do the things that will make progress for you in your spiritual life. And Paul says, I hope, verse 24, to remain in this body. And then he goes in and says, and I'm sure this is what's going to happen. Why does Paul say that? Because of this. Paul says, there's an internal conflict in me. Whether to go and be with Christ. Boy, if I had my druthers, Paul says, that sure is appealing because that's far better than anything on this earth. But he says, but I know I have this work to do and, and I have this responsibility towards you, my brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi. And even though it would be better for me to go, it's better for you if I stay. And so Paul then comes to a place in this dilemma where he realizes there really is no dilemma. There really is no choice. I'm going to start praying that God will keep me here. Now think about that. Why would a Christian 
who says to depart and be with Christ is far better. And yet, you know what? I, if, as I think through this, as I pray through this, I've actually landed on staying. Why would he say that? Because when you and I are living in partnership with Jesus Christ, which is what this book is all about, that's what it means to live as Christ too. It means we live in partnership with Jesus Christ. When you and I are living in partnership with Jesus Christ, we will make that choice every time. Instead of what's best for us, we will always choose what's best for someone else. We will be selfless. Why? Because that's Jesus. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus and his life is all about. Everything Jesus did, from even the creation of us, because obviously we know the Bible teaches God didn't need anything outside of himself to be fulfilled and happy and all of that. God could have existed as the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they would have been perfectly happy and content and fulfilled and satisfied just to enjoy one another for all of eternity without ever bringing us into the equation. They'd have been fine. But they chose to create us. And he chose to leave the glories of heaven. And he chose to take upon himself humanity. And he chose to be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He chose all of that because it was best for us, not for him. Nothing Jesus ever did, any choice that he ever made, it wasn't about him. It was always about others. And so Paul is saying, how can I live in partnership with Jesus Christ? How can I live in fellowship with Jesus Christ and be selfish about this? How can I say that though I know one day being with Christ is going to be far better, I'd, I'm going to stay and I want to stay. I even have a strong desire to stay because I know that I can be a help and support to you. And so therefore, I need to not be selfish about this. I need to be selfless about this. I need to make the choice to stay behind for however long God will allow me to stay behind so that I can be that encouragement to you. See, that's the challenge before us today. And the thing is, it's not that we give up that desire to be with Christ. What Paul says here in this passage is actually, as a Christian, I can hold them both together at the same time. In verse 23, when he says, I feel torn between two, in the original language, it literally means I'm holding both of them together and I actually see both sides. And Paul's saying it's okay to hold both together and see both sides. In other words, Paul's not saying, I want you to put out that desire, that flame, that fire to be with Christ. That should always be a passionate desire. In fact, it should fuel everything that we do in this life, including wanting to be selfless and wanting to live for others. Because Paul says to all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, you realize one day 
We're going to stand before him and we're going to see his face and we're going to be with Jesus Christ. And how sad will it be for some Christians who were a Christian only because of the total selflessness of Jesus Christ to live their entire Christian life so selfishly that when they stand before Jesus, it comes to them in this realization that The only way I'm even able to stand here before you is because you live totally selflessly and here I've taken my whole earthly life, all the opportunities I had to live for others rather than self and all I've done is live for me. You and I will know at any moment of our Christian life if we are truly living in partnership with Jesus. By this very principle, that if you and I are living in partnership with Jesus Christ, we will always choose to be selfless rather than selfish. We will always choose what's best for someone else over what's best for us. Now, with that said, That's why then Paul goes into leaving sort of a description of this internal conflict. And now he wants to bring them to the realization of the external conflict and yet apply the very same principle to that as well. Notice in verse 27, Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word conduct there means behave as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. Paul is reminding the Philippians and reminding those of us who know the Lord that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. But then notice what Paul goes on to say. He says, so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel and by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, a sign which is from God. For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. Since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw in me and now hear that I am facing. Paul says there should always be this internal conflict, if you will, in our lives as Christians. Our desire will always be, I want to go and be with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but right now, there's not a day that goes by that I'm like, Jesus, you could come now. It'd be okay. You could take me to be with you. Whether in death or in the rapture. I'd be okay with that. But then there's also that desire, but God, if you can still use me here, if I can still be in an encouragement and a support and and a help to others by me staying, then let me stay. That, That should be what we all deal with every day. But Paul says there's another conflict. Because we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, we must also acknowledge and recognize and realize that we are in a constant battle, war, conflict with another kingdom. That the kingdom of light that you and I are a part of is always going to be opposed by the kingdom of darkness. 
That's why Paul says in this passage of Scripture, he says, I don't want you to be intimidated in any way by your opponents. Verse 28. Now, here's a cool thing that Paul is saying there. And I hope this will encourage you. He's not saying that there's not times in our life where we should, shouldn't be intimidated. He's not saying that there's not times in our life where we shouldn't be terrified and frightened and, and struggle and be discouraged as far as what's going on. But Paul says that in Christ and in partnership with him, you and I can rise above that. It's not that things didn't bother Paul or that he wasn't intimidated or never got scared of anything. Obviously he was. We're human. But Paul's also going to give us some insight into how we can overcome that as well. And it's not only in partnership with Jesus Christ, it's in partnership with one another, which we'll get to in just a moment. But notice, he uses the word opponent, adversary. You and I will face opposition. You and I will face obstacles, always. Why? Because that's the reality of living in this world a world that is run by Satan, as far as its system goes, a world that is anti-Christ and anti-God and all of that, you and I, again, as Christians, have to constantly remind ourselves we are living in enemy territory. Satan is the God of this world, according to the Word of God. And you and I, then, are going to, as citizens of another kingdom... Always face opposition. And I love the reminder of what he says in verse 29. And this is something that many Christians either... They've never really come to receive it, to buy into it. It's, it maybe they just deny it or whatever. But notice what the Bible says in verse 29 of Philippians 1. It has been granted to us. You know what that means? It's actually a gift from God. Now think about that with what we're about to hear. Paul is saying, we have actually been gifted by God two things. One, it's a gift of God that you and I can believe. And that's biblical. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. That faith is not of yourselves. It is a what? Gift from God. See, the very faith that you and I have to believe is actually gifted to us by God or else we would be incapable on our own of coming to Christ. So Paul is saying, you realize that God gifts you even the faith in order to believe. But don't miss the next part of this. We are also gifted by God, if you will, to suffer. You see that, right? It is granted by God not only to believe, but also to suffer for Him. And the reason I say so many Christians just can't seem to wrap their minds around this is because one of the first things you hear Christians say sometimes when they go through suffering is, why me? What did, what did I do? Did I do something, God, to anger you? Or, or, you know, why is this suffering happening to me? And I think to myself, 
do, do you not know that that's actually part of God's plan and purpose for us on this earth is to suffer for him? It shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be like, oh my goodness, I have to go through suffering? Yeah. Because again, we are part of his heavenly kingdom and we are living in a kingdom of darkness, if you will. Called upon by Jesus to be light, but those around us aren't going to be too kind to that all the time. Now again, God will use our lives at times to shine light in other people's lives and draw them to the Savior and bring them into the heavenly kingdom. But there's going to be a lot of times where we're going to face more opposition and obstacles and adversaries and suffer because of the name of Christ. I think one of the great things that's missing from the church today that wasn't like the church when it first started in the book of Acts is remember in the book of Acts when those Christians were allowed or entrusted to suffer because of Jesus Christ in their life, they actually like rejoiced about it. Remember? They left prison when they were left out of prison and they were like dancing back and they were like, Jesus, thank you so much that you entrusted us with suffering for you and that you, you gave us that gift from you to be able to suffer for you. Wow. That's living in partnership with Jesus. That kind of attitude can only come that way. And then he says this, verse 30. Since you are encountering now the same conflict that you saw in me. That word conflict is a very important word. It means a grueling, agonizing struggle against something. Paul is saying, you realize as a Christian, when you and I try to live for the Lord, there are going to be times where we are in a grueling, agonizing struggle and conflict. And there's all these adversaries and there's all these obstacles and there's all this opposition. Paul is saying, you realize, don't you, that being part of Christ's heavenly kingdom puts us in direct opposition to the kingdom of darkness and spiritual darkness. And you and I need to come to terms with that reality. But Paul has an answer for that too. Paul says a couple things. Instead of us just living for ourselves, we should always be living, thinking about, and considering our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And the other side of that is, as a Christian, I should never be in a position where I feel like I'm going through this grueling, agonizing struggle and all these conflicts and facing all this opposition and all these adversaries and all this on my own. Which is why Paul says these words up in verse 27. He says, so here's my thoughts to the church at Philippi. That whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent and I still stay in jail, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Paul says, here it is. You're not going to get out of the conflict. If you're a Christian, you're always going to be in conflict with the world around you and with the spiritual darkness around you. 
But that doesn't mean that you and I should ever feel alone. Why God designed and called the church, His body, to come together and live in community and connection with each other is because He wants us to see that we are always standing as one or standing together against our common adversary. And that none of us should ever feel like whatever we're going through in our life, that we're going through it alone, all by ourselves. Because obviously we can always do it in partnership with Jesus, but God even understands, I need flesh and blood too. I need to know that there are other human beings who are supporting me and standing with me too. Just as a soldier, because that's the kind of terminology he's using, war and battle and conflict and struggle. He says, how sad would it be, and many of you have been here and you've served in our armed forces, You know this much better than I. How sad would it be for a soldier to go out there on the battlefield, be facing all these bullets, if you will, from the enemy flying by you, and you look to your right and you look to your left, and there's nobody else around but you. And yet there are many Christians today, either by their own choice of never getting involved and truly connected and engaged with a local church and a community of believers, like Paul is saying here, Or else the church itself does not embrace people to bring them together and to say we should be standing together as one through everything that we go through. That that's exactly how they feel. That as the spiritual bullets, if you will, of life are whizzing past their head, they look to their right and they look to their left and there's nobody around for them. And maybe even from a selfish perspective, they're not around for anybody else either. They're not helping, supporting any other Christian. Just sort of, oh, whatever happens to him, happens to him. God bless him. I'll pray for him. But that's about it. Notice what Paul says then. He says, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. That should be What I hear and see in Philippi. That you all, instead of again choosing for what's best for me, or it's all about me, thinks, no, I'm going to be part of a community of believers, not for me, but for what I can give to others. That I will show up faithfully so that as other believers look around, they see that there's other spiritual soldiers on the battlefield willing to fight with them and be in the trenches with them. I mean, that's what that word contending means. It is a reminder that you and I, whether we like it or not, are in a spiritual battle and conflict and struggle every day. And there are far too many Christians today, again, either by their own choice or by the kind of local church that they're a part of or by the kinds of Christians that they hang around. They feel all by themselves. And so Paul is saying here, just as he got to the place in this internal conflict of Boy, I'd rather go and be with Jesus because that's better for me. But if it's better for you that I stay, I'm staying. Paul's saying, 
You and Philippi should have that same thought process and you should land in the same place I'm landing. That you should want to be even more a part of that local church in Philippi. Because you're under attack. You're in a battle and a war and a conflict every day. And you better find a community of believers where you can be there and so that other Christians can look around and see that you're there for them and where they can look around and see they're there for you. Contending side by side. There's two three-letter phrases I want to sort of burn into our hearts and minds from this passage today. Be with Christ, verse 23 side by side, verse 27. And the reason I want those two to be held together is for this reason. Here's what Paul's saying in a nutshell. Until I am with Christ, I need to be found side by side with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's saying. Until I go to be with Christ, which is my heart's desire, I want to see Jesus. I want to be with Him more than anything else. That will be it. He says, but until I'm with Jesus, side by side. Side by side. Let me ask you. Are you part of a community of believers where other believers know as they look around that you're by their side? And as you look around, can you truly see other Christians who are by your side? Because God never meant for us to feel alone. Now, obviously, again, we're never alone because he's always with us. But God understands, I still need on this side of glory until I see everything. I need to see something. I can't always just go by faith. God does give us sight. And God says, I call upon my children, my followers of my son, Jesus Christ, to stand as one and stand together and be side by side as we contend for the faith of the gospel. Which, by the way, is simply the working of God inside of us. And see, God can't really do a work inside any of us if we're so distracted by trying to stay above water with the conflicts all around us, unless we have help. I mean, think about it even in your own personal life. Don't you sometimes, no matter how well managed and organized and everything you are, you sometimes feel overwhelmed? We all do. And don't you get to a place when you feel that way where it's just like, I just need somebody. I, I just need somebody to, to listen, somebody to come alongside of me, somebody to stand with me, somebody to pray with, somebody to just walk with me. Just for love. And, and, and just, just having one other person can be such an encouragement. Paul's saying that should be our attitude. One other passage. You can leave Philippians and go to the book of Hebrews again. I know, we just did a long series on Hebrews, but you know I'd go back there eventually. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. So in light of that, 
what Paul just said in Philippians 1 at the end of that chapter. Notice what he says in verse 24 and 25. And let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and so much the more because you see the day drawing near. Paul's saying, we should actually as Christians today actually realize that we need to get together more, not less. That instead of trying to do life on our own, separated from each other and isolated from each other, that the writer of Hebrews is saying, you realize, Christian, that as we see the day drawing near, it should actually motivate us to want to get together more, not less. Now, here's the thing, and this sort of leads into next week's message. You know why I think it is that many in the church today and many professing Christians aren't actually getting together more, but rather less? Why is church attendance across the United States continuing to decline and decline and decline? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us why. They don't see the day drawing near. They don't have an idea of what day they are living in. They're not conscious, really, of the signs of the times and the fact that they are living as they see the day. Because notice, he links being able to see the day of Jesus drawing near with getting together with my brothers and sisters in Christ more and more. Well, then the only reason that you and I as Christians are not getting together more but less is because we're not clearly seeing the day drawing near. We're not understanding the times in which we live and how late it is in the calendar of God. Or else the writer of Hebrews says we would actually be more motivated to get together and be faithful to God's house and make sure that we show up. Again, not for myself but so that other Christians could see me and so that I could use every opportunity that I come to be around my Christian brothers or sisters in Christ to know that I've got their back and I'm at their side and I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to seek to support and encourage them. And can I just say as the pastor of this church, because we do things a little bit differently, you don't need a program to do that. We just need to start being the Christians that God calls us to be. I mean, even in this little church like it, you start looking around and you can't go one or two rows away and not think, well, there's somebody that could use some encouragement. There's somebody I could do something for. There's somebody I could support. Maybe they're really struggling right now in their conflict. Maybe they're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe there's so much opposition in their life that they're feeling weighed down. And maybe somehow I, just by being by their side, contending for the faith of the gospel, I may be an encouragement to them. Because Paul says, isn't it true that when you and I live in partnership with Jesus Christ, that's the choice we'll make every time. It won't be like many Christians today. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to start searching for a church that... that meets my needs and it fits me and has all the programs I'm looking for. How many Christians today go, I'm led to that church by God so that I can be side by side with my brothers and sisters in Christ and I can show up faithfully and I can be engaged and serve faithfully so that I can be an encouragement to them 
where it's not about me anymore, it's about others. And Paul says in both our internal conflict as a Christian and in our external conflict as a child of the kingdom of light, that should always be the choice that we make every time when we live in partnership with Jesus. It's not about us. It's about someone else. Let's stand. Father, I pray today that you would help us to see Jesus in this passage who lives so selfishly, selflessly, instead of selfishly. It's not that we're not going to have conflict. We cannot escape conflict, whether it's internal or external in this world. But what we can do in partnership with you, Lord, is to choose what's best for others rather than myself every time. God, minister to us today. Because I believe that there are people here today that truly just need some support. They need some encouragement. They need some refreshment. They need to know that their brothers and sisters in Christ are standing side by side with them and that they're not going through what they're going through all along. So, Lord, use this to minister to your people today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give two invitations this morning. First one is this. I'm calling on any of you right now here in this auditorium that if you are in need of prayer, and obviously we're all in need of prayer, I get that. But specifically, you are in need of prayer today. Would you come right now? And as people are coming, here's what I want to say to you. Don't be ashamed that you're in need of prayer. Needing prayer is not a sign of weakness. It's actually acknowledging I need prayer as a brother or sister in Christ is actually a sign of spiritual maturity and strength. So don't think that if you leave your place here that somehow everyone's going to, oh my goodness, you know. No. You come. You come right now and say, I am in need of prayer. It's okay. I want to invite you. Have the freedom. Let go of whatever you're thinking right now, whatever's holding you back. Because I guarantee you, the enemy's saying, stay in your seat. Don't go forward. Don't be encouraged today. Don't let anybody pray for you or pray over you. You stay there. You handle it yourself. We can do this. That's the voice of the enemy. You come today if you need prayer.